Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey guys, I have a new podcast to recommend, and I think you're really going to love it. The Murder Diaries. The Murder Diaries is hosted by Natalie and Paige, who met on Bumble BFF swiped right, and bonded instantly over their love of tacos and, more importantly, true crime. With that swipe, the Murder Diaries podcast was born. Each week, they tell one true crime story at a time, give voices to the voiceless, humanize victims, and share stories that may have not been shared in the past. I know I love the show, but to give you some extra insight, here are some reviews by their listeners. As a family member of someone who has been murdered and the case has gone cold, I appreciate podcasts like this that gets victim stories out to make people more aware of cases they may not have known about. They do it in such a respectful way, and I've really enjoyed listening. And I could listen to Paige and Natalie all day. The way they tell stories makes me feel like I'm literally talking to them, and they're pulling the words right out of my head. I recommend them to all of my friends interested in true crime. New episodes of The Murder Diaries release every Thursday and are available on all podcast platforms. Be sure to search for and subscribe to The Murder Diaries on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can also find them on TikTok and Instagram at The Murder Diaries. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. The love of a parent can make people fight tooth and nail to make sure that their child is safe. On April 2nd, 2018, a man's appeal was denied and he was left behind bars for a murder that, had a father not fought tooth and nail for his daughter's justice, may have never been solved. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Andre Bamberski, born in France in 1938, was a happily married man who, along with his wife, Daniele Gonning, and their two children, lived in Casablanca, Morocco, where he worked as an accountant in the early 1970s, where they met and became friends with a man named Dieter Krombach and his wife. His second wife, actually, as the first had died suddenly and mysteriously at the age of 24. Dieter worked at the German consulate as a doctor and, unbeknownst to Andre, began a secret affair with Daniele soon after they met. By 1977, both Dieter and Daniele had left their respective partners. 
and eventually moved off to Lindau, Germany with Andre and Daniele's children, one of which was a girl named Kalinka Bambersky. Kalinka, while attending a French language school in Germany, spent most of her weekends and summers in Lindau with Daniele, her mother, and her new stepfather, Dieter. At the time our story takes place, Kalinka was a beautiful 15-year-old girl, was described as extroverted, athletic, and all-around a good person. She was also a girl who barely spoke German and was homesick for her father's home in Toulouse, France. On July 9, 1982, Kalinka, after a day of windsurfing on Lake Constance, returned home at around 5 p.m. and complained to her stepfather, a doctor, and mother about feeling unwell and tired. They all sat down for dinner at 7.30 p.m., and Kalinka went off to bed shortly thereafter. At around 10 p.m., she woke up and went to get a glass of water, and, according to Dieter, read in her downstairs bedroom until about midnight when he asked her to turn her light off. The following morning, just before his morning horseback ride through the mountains, Dieter went into Kalinka's bedroom to try and wake her up. What he found was her body lying on its side, stiff with rigor mortis. Desperate to try and help her, the 47-year-old injected Kalinka with a shot of Coramin to her heart, as well as Novodigal and Isoptin to her legs. Nothing seemed to work, and after realizing that he had been hours too late to save her life, he called the police. According to her autopsy, Kalinka Bimbersky died somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m., mere hours after Dieter told her to go back to sleep. A few hours later, Andre was called and delivered the devastating news. Shocked, Andre was left wondering how his healthy, young, athletic daughter died in her sleep and demanded to know how this could have happened when his ex-wife called to deliver the news. She claimed that Dieter had proposed two different theories, that Kalinka must have suffered from heat stroke after her day on the water, or that she may have passed away due to the long-delayed effects of a car crash that happened in 1974. Andre was not buying it and started to grow suspicious of not only his daughter's untimely death, but the man who last saw her alive. A suspicion that only grew when, in October of 1982, he finally received a translated copy of his daughter's autopsy report, in which he found out that a Dr. Homan, a forensic physician in a nearby town, carried out the procedure in the company of the police superintendent in Lindau, the local prosecutor, and Dieter Krombach himself, which was, of course, an unusual breach of protocol. But the report didn't stop there. Dr. Holman reportedly discovered blood on Kalinka's vagina and a, quote, viscous, whitish-greenish substance on the inside. They also noted what appeared to be a fresh puncture mark on the girl's upper arm, which was supposedly caused by an intravenous injection of cobalt ferlicet a controversial iron supplement that Dieter claimed he gave his stepdaughter just before dinner the night that she passed away, supposedly to help her tan, though he would later change to say that it had been to treat her anemia. Despite the puncture wound, Dr. Homan never conducted a toxicology test on Kalinka's blood or tissue, though he did send it off for testing, nor did he test to see if she was raped or assaulted prior to her death. Instead, the report concluded that her cause of death was listed as, quote, unknown. After reading the report, Andre became convinced that Dieter had something to do with his daughter's murder, a suspicion that deepened when he called his ex-wife to ask about the test results and, 
and after saying she would talk to Dieter and get back with him, seemed to ghost Andre completely. After a number of calls to get some answers, Daniele finally admitted to Andre that no tests were being conducted. When he demanded to know why she wasn't suspicious or asking the same questions that he was, Daniele responded, quote, Kalinka died because it was her time to die. Andre, furious, disagreed and started to form a new theory in his head that Dieter had raped his teenage daughter and killed her to ensure her silence. He took his suspicions to two forensic professionals in Toulouse who agreed that the autopsy warranted a second look. Andre and his attorneys started to push the local German prosecutor to do more tests. And under pressure, they finally agreed in February and March of 1983. When the tests were finished, the experts had to concede that Andre may have just had a valid reason to suspect his daughter's stepfather. According to Wolfgang Spann, a forensic scientist at the Medical Legal Institute in Munich, Dieter Kronbach had given Kalinka a potentially dangerous supplement that, despite his claims, did not help with tanning or anemia. A substance that, if administered without close supervision, especially after eating, can lead to nausea, fever, vomiting, and in extreme cases, complete respiratory failure and cardiac arrest. And given the food particles in Kalinka's lungs and esophagus, that's exactly what happened to her. Wolfgang went on to theorize that, shortly after being given the injection, Kalinka went into anaphylactic shock, lost consciousness, and asphyxiated on her own vomit. He also claimed that Dieter had to be lying about the timeline of the injection because there was absolutely no evidence of immune response, meaning her death was, quote, almost immediate. Though certain about her cause of death, Wolfgang Spann's findings remained inconclusive on the rape. Met with the news, Andre Bamberski decided to act. Just over a year after Kalinka's death, Andre traveled to Lindau during Oktoberfest and started walking through the town passing out about 2,000 flyers warning, quote, People of Lindau, you should know that a murderer, Dieter Krombach, is living in your city. He raped and murdered my daughter on July 10, 1982, and his crime has been covered up by doctors, the police commissioner, and the prosecutors. Please help me obtain justice. Later that afternoon, Andre was accosted by Boris Krombach, Dieter's 17-year-old son, and Deanna Krombach, his 19-year-old daughter, who were in the company of two police officers. He was arrested, interrogated, and charged with defamation, disturbing the public order, and injuring the reputation of the prosecutor. After 24 hours in custody, Andre was ordered to hand over all of the cash in his possession, about $1,000, as bond and released. Three months later, he was sentenced in absentia to six months in prison, ordered to pay an additional fine of $200,000, and told he could not walk on German soil until the statute of limitations ran out five years later. Despite this major setback, Andre had other means to try and get justice for his daughter. Because Kalinka had been a French citizen, French authorities could launch their own investigation on German soil if the evidence was deemed sufficient. In 1985, after two years of begging from Andre, the French authorities exhumed Kalinka's body and, though it offered very little in the way of concrete evidence, it did find something odd that not only cast further suspicion on Dieter himself, but on the German authorities and forensic experts as a whole. It seemed that, just before being laid to rest, 
Kalinka's vagina and reproductive organs had been removed, meaning there was no longer a way to test to see if she had been raped prior to her death. Not only had her private areas been removed, but according to the French authorities, neither of the German forensics labs that handled her body had any clue where the removed pieces may be. In 1988, still working off their strange discovery, German authorities complied with the request from the French prosecutors to send lung, heart, skin, and other tissue samples so they could be analyzed at the Institute of Legal Medicine in Paris. Given what they were sent, three French pathologists came to the conclusion that, while the evidence provided did not give an exact cause of death, they felt certain that the young girl died in a, quote, brutal manner. Enough so that the French judiciary was persuaded and, on April 8th, 1993, Dieter Krombach was charged with voluntary homicide. They asked German authorities to arrest the doctor and they refused. So on March 9th, 1995, Dieter was convicted of murder in absentia in Paris and sentenced to 15 years behind bars. Despite what seemed like a long overdue victory, Dieter Krombach remained a free man. Judicial authorities in Bavaria and Berlin considered the case against Dieter and the trial as a whole to be illegal, and he was able to continue his work as a doctor with a thriving practice, continued to excel both socially and physically, carry out a number of affairs until his divorce in 1989, got remarried and divorced again, and even kept a boat in Lindau's Yacht Club. Essentially, if you were on the same side as Andre, Dieter had literally gotten away with the murder of a 15-year-old girl. However, those dark impulses, whether capable of murder or not, could only be controlled for so long. On February 11, 1997, a 15-year-old girl named Laura Stell visited Dieter's clinic for an endoscopic examination while his assistant was out for lunch. Laura would later testify that Dieter ushered her into the exam room and, because the probe was likely to cause her discomfort and pain, the doctor, with her consent, injected her with an anesthetic that knocked her out completely. When she awoke, quote, he was on top of me, totally naked. Unable to move out from underneath him, the young girl was left powerless on the table. He later dropped her off in front of her home and, instead of staying quiet like he anticipated, Laura went straight inside and told her parents what had just happened. Later that evening, Andre Bamberski received a phone call from a reporter in Lindau who told him that Dieter Krombach was finally in jail. Six months after the attack, a German judge convicted Dieter of raping a minor and ordered him to not only surrender his medical license, but to serve two years behind bars. However, before the family of the victim could breathe their sigh of relief, the judge came back and said that, due in large part to his lack of criminal record and the fact that he was a prestigious member of the community, he was suspending the sentence and allowing Dieter to walk freely out of the courtroom. With the verdict read, protesters outside yelled in outrage, and amongst them were six women who claimed to have been raped by the good doctor all of whom had been quiet up until this moment because of his stature in Lindau and how the anesthetic affected their memories. Now with a handful of women accusing him of rape, Dieter shrugged off the claims and, in an interview with a French radio reporter, said, quote, The girl wanted to sleep with me. She started taking off her clothes. It was all over in five minutes, as well as taking the opportunity to ridicule Andre Bamberski, who, given that his German charges had now expired, 
had attended the trial and provoked a confrontation in the courtroom. By 1999, Andre had quit his job and devoted his entire life to finally getting Kalinka the justice she deserved. Hoping, all the while, that one of Dieter's frequent trips over the German border, he could convince another country to arrest him and extradite him back to France. He spent years going to Austrian and Swiss police stations and custom posts where he handed out photos of Dieter and newspaper clippings involving the case and his judicial warrants. Most of the time, he was brushed off, but Andre never let that stop him and the work he was doing. While he was pounding the pavement, a German court declined France's extradition request in 2004 on the grounds that, as far as they were concerned, the case against him was closed. Andre knew he was working against a clock, with the statute running out in 2012, so he hired and paid several men to take matters into their own hands. On October 17, 2009, Dieter Krombach, then 74 years old, was beaten up by three men in his Bavarian home, driven to Mulhouse, France, and left chained to a fence near the police station with a fractured skull. After a bizarre phone call sending them to his location, police found Dieter's bloodied body, hands and feet bound, lying on the floor with his mouth gagged. Despite looking worse for wear, the doctor was still alive, and as soon as they removed the covering of his mouth, he said, Bamberski is behind it. Andre was arrested soon thereafter, but was later released on bail. He was brought to trial on May 22, 2014, and confessed to hiring three men to abduct Dieter Krombach. He was given a one-year suspended sentence. With his case squared away, Germany demanded Dieter to be returned to Germany, and that Andre Bamberski, along with the man he hired, be extradited so they could face the legal ramifications of their actions. France not only refused, but placed Dieter Krombach behind bars and scheduled a new trial against him. During this trial, a German woman came forward and said that she'd been having an affair with Dieter when she was just 16 years old, and that the doctor would drug his wife so they could have their secret meetings. Several more testified that he was sexually abusing them as teenagers, always using cobalt iron injections, and gave the courts a pretty good idea of what he was capable of. On October 22, 2011, Dieter Krombach was sentenced to 15 years in prison for causing intentional bodily harm resulting in an unintentional death, believing now that he drugged Kalinka so he could rape her and that her body reacted poorly to his chosen supplement. The verdict was later confirmed on appeal and, on April 2, 2014, another appeal from his lawyers was officially rejected, as well as 2018, when he tried to argue that he had been prosecuted twice for the same crime. After serving nine years of his sentence, 84-year-old Dieter Krombach had his sentence suspended on medical grounds. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on April 3rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>